Well, this morning, um, I've been doing a Bible study at my house for a year or so with a um, group of some young kids, I call them. They're only 30 kids. Um, young kids, and we've been studying the book of Revelation lately, and so as we've been kind of going through it, some thoughts have been circulating through my mind, and I, I guess the more you you read about some of the things that are coming in end times, and especially at the very end, how we win, and all those types of things. I really got to thinking about um, the season a little bit, and so you'll have to excuse me a little bit. We're going a little bit hometown a little bit, in a pretty simple little message this morning, and I call it the Savior, the Savior. You realize that all this stuff, coals and all the other events going on and stuff, is really not what Christmas is about. It really is about a Savior coming, a Savior coming. It's, it struck me in such an impactful way over the last couple, I guess, weeks or so that I've been kind of thinking about this. And so I want to share a little bit. And one of the um, ideas around a, a, what I call a Savior is it says, this is a person who helps people achieve salvation or saves them from something. A savior is a person who saves people from something. Now, I don't know if you've had kids or not, but I've had kids, and a lot of times I've thought, you know, I can make a great decision for them that will save them a lot of pain. They don't always listen to me, but I like to offer that anyway. And as I started thinking about this and stuff, the thought came to my mind is, and I used to get this was a youth pastor, kids used to ask all the time, saved? Saved from what? Why do you need a Savior? Why do you need a Savior? Probably a lot of thoughts are popping through your mind right now, but I want to share kind of three or four that hit me. And the, the um, scripture reference that you have and stuff, they're, they're for reference. They're for something that you can take with you and look over, and whether we go through them all or not today, I don't know. But right up front, probably the most important thing, obviously, is sin. Is sin. We have sin in our lives. And if you don't know the story, but at the beginning, Adam and Eve um, were formed. Well, Adam was formed first, and he was lonely, so they, uh, God gave him a helpmate, it says, Eve. And Satan tempted him, and they fell. They gave into, into what we call the fall. They sinned. They disobeyed what God wanted them to do. And so sin entered the world. And because sin entered the world, it created a problem for everyone. This sin issue created a problem for everyone. And so I jotted down a couple of scriptures here that I thought would be interesting because because of this sin in our lives, there's a penalty for this sin. And I wanted to share these with you in Genesis. Um, when God, after the sin had happened and stuff, and he approached them, it said, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat the dust of the, um, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. I will crush your head, and and you will strike his heel. Just put a little note there. That's the first reference to a savior, to a savior. Way back at the very beginning, and to Adam he said, and and catch this. I'm not going to teach on this, but. Someday I'd like to examine it. Because you, what? Listened to your wife. Hmm. 
Isn't that an interesting word? <laughs> because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Yes, we will. <laughs> it will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until, the return, until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, you are, and to dust you will return. Isn't that a fascinating thing? I believe when God originally set this up, we were meant to live forever. I believe that was his plan for Adam. I believe that there was going to be that communion and fellowship forever. But sin entered the area. And because sin entered, it created a huge issue for us. And it's an issue we can't resolve. Scripture's real clear. We, cannot, we can't do anything about it. In Romans 6, it says, and these wages of sin that are in our life, it says the wages of sin is death, is death. And so um, Scripture does this. So because we have all of this, because we are, have a sinful nature within us, we need a Savior. We need a Savior. Some people say, well, I don't have sin. Well, I think Scripture is pretty clear. We all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory of what he wanted for our life. As a matter of fact, this may help you a little bit. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a bad man. <laughs> I'm a bad man. Yeah, because sin rules in your life. Sin rules in your life. We need a Savior. We need a Savior. The second thing I want to talk about a little bit this morning is self. Is self. I'm convinced that people as a whole sort of have a self-destructive nature or a bent about them. I've always said this, the first words that kids learn are no. It's never, yes, Daddy, yes, Mommy, I would love to. It's always no. From the very beginning, there's a rebellious nature. There's a bent within us all the time that looks to do evil. It's the weirdest thing. Um, I, I'll just share this with you because I think it's practical, that kind of at least in my life. Um, I've been in church my whole life. From the day I was born, I've been in church. Um, Sunday schools you know, the whole ball of wax and stuff. And about, I don't know, maybe a couple months ago, um, my friend uh, called me and said, we're going to go down and play some golf in Florida and wanted me to come down. And the weirdest thought hit my mind because one time he had told me about they had smoked a cigar. Now, I'm not saying this is bad. For me, I've never smoked anything in my whole life, okay, anything. And it struck me, man, I'd like to try to smoke a cigar, now, why would a person have a thought like that? It's the weirdest thought. And so I, I, it's kind of funny how that weird things mess around in your mind. I started thinking about that, and it was almost like I'd go, well, no, you, you don't, you don't want to do that. But it was like, I'd like to try to smoke a cigar. I mean, a little smoke's not going to hurt you, is it? I mean, how much smoke are you going to get in one, like, I don't know what it is. And so I told my wife, which is always sort of a mistake because she's very straight and she goes what is wrong with your head why would you ever think about smoking a cigar you know it was the weirdest thing I bet you I talked about that for I don't know two or three weeks 
just because it was like, for me, I knew it was wrong to do, but I just, I wanted to do it. We have a self-bent within us. I was looking here in, uh, in the book of Genesis, and again, very early on, I don't know if you know the story of Lot and Abram and um, their travels, but they had some choices to make. And it said, so Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and, sent out towards, and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. They weren't getting along very well. Their herdsmen weren't getting along very good. And it says, Abram lived in the, ha- the land of Cana, where Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. He looked at something, had a bent, and followed that. Self. There's always a fight. I don't know if you recognize this within us. There's a willingness, a want to do what is right, yet somehow this evil nature within us always wants to do evil. And it's a battle that goes on in our lives. In Romans it said, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of what? The law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. He who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. I know some of you want to make the answer already, right? You're making that leap in your mind (laughs) because we know the next verse, praise be to God. But it's, I'm not going there right now. But you see this, um, Paul defines this as, here's this war at work, waging a war within me of, I want to do what's right, but I can't quite seem to do it. I can't make it happen. Um, And so within us is this constant battle. And we need a Savior because we can't win it ourselves. I've tried and tried to do sometimes the thing I need to do the most. I always say, for me, I wrestle with diet all the time. I don't wrestle with it. I normally lose it. But I try to wrestle with diet all the time. I want to do the right thing. My mind tells me this week I'm going to do it. As a matter of fact, I'm, tomorrow morning I'm starting again. <laughs> it was Thanksgiving. I always have an excuse I can rationalize. There's a, lot, there's a war within me. And I want to do what's right. I know what I want to do to right but I can't make myself do it. We need a savior. We need someone to help us accomplish what we need to accomplish. So this week I was kind of thinking about how I'm going to bring some of this home a little bit, and I want to make it practical for us as much as possible. So I've asked a good friend of mine, Samantha, if you'll come now, and um, I've just asked her to share a little bit this morning um, with you because I want this to... Be realistic to you what a Savior really is, both from sin we're saved from and from ourselves. This is Samantha. She loves to talk in front of people in large crowds. (laughs) Okay, Samantha, share. Hi, I'm Samantha, as Bob said. Um, I'm kind of nervous right now. So um, for those of you that don't know me, um, I haven't had the privilege to meet you yet. Bob asked me to come up and share a little bit about my testimony with you all. And um, I'll start out by a couple weeks ago was my birthday. And I got to go to uh, breakfast with Twyla. And I was thinking, wow, I'm 31. Wow, 10 years. Like, what has happened to me in the last 10 years? 
And so I started talking with her about it, and I started naming off, like, these accomplishments that I've done. And it really got me thinking when Bob asked me if I would come up and talk. It got me thinking about, well, what has God done in the last 10 years of my life? And um, I was raised Catholic, so I've always had a belief in God, but I never really had a relationship with God and with Jesus. And in 2005, I got saved, and from up until 2005, I did a pretty good job of messing up my own life and making bad decisions. I, I would consider myself a professional in that area. And, and um, um, I got to thinking about, um, moreover, some bondage that I was in. And when I was 11 years old, I was molested by my uncle. And for the last 20 years of my life, I have been holding on to that bondage and basically been yoked and captured in that bondage. And since 2005, God, when I got saved and gave my life to Christ, God started working this process of healing within me. And even to this day, seven years later, I'm still struggling with that bondage, but I'm a lot freer than I was before that because of God. And um, I give it all to Christ. He actually, right now, has given me the strength to even stand up and say that in front of all of you guys, which before I would never be able to do that. And I share it with you because I know that one in three women and one in six men are sexually sinned against, and I'm not the only one in here. So I would encourage you to get with somebody, give that sin over to God, pray about it, and I promise there will be healing. He promises there will be healing. And it will be. It may not happen the next day. And it may take years to come, but it will happen. So I would encourage you to seek that out and give that sin to God and pray about it and find someone to pray with. So um, thank you for your time. It's practical. You can live for yourself. You can fight self a long time or you can experience a Savior. You can experience a Savior. You need a Savior for sin. You need a Savior sometimes for yourself. And I'll say sometimes you need a Savior for religion. For religion. I was looking around a little bit, and um, I was uh, noticing that one of the news conferences, um, they said, in the world today there are over 4,200 different types of denominations. And if you counted sex and kind of offshoots, there are 22,000 different types of religious organizations. Isn't that a phenomenal number? 22,000 different ways to experience religion. Um, I wrote down a few verses here because um, religion is really just the going through an act or emotion. Coming here on Sunday morning sitting here, experience what's going on, and going home, and it doesn't really affect or change your life. That's religious activities. Even doing a lot of works, community services, and stuff like that, though they're good, those are religious-type activities. And I think one of the things that used to really irritate Jesus a lot was the leaders and teachers of his time were great religious people. I put down a few verses there, like in Matthew uh, chapter 15, it says, some, some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Traditions. What? Our religious acts, the things that we do, 
Why do you break those things? They don't wash their hands before they eat. They obviously weren't raised on the farm with me, but uh, that was just a commentary. Um, Jesus said, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your traditions, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. And these are some awesome words to stick into your head. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Do you hear that? We need to have a savior from religion. We need to have a savior from religion, from just coming. We need a savior that brings us relationship. So I've asked another friend of mine to share, because I want this to be as practical as I can for you. And I've asked Pat to share. We had a it was an awesome time. His mom was here. So we just had an awesome time. And so I just asked him to share with us this morning. Okay, I'm going to share with, the sec with you just a little bit about the need for a Savior in religion and make it a little practical for you. So Deb and I, and, as Bob said, we invited someone down for Thanksgiving. So we had a nice Thanksgiving. We made, had all the fixings, made all the food and stuff like that. Watched the Lions, not the Cowboys. We watched the Lions. And true to form, they built you up with hope and with nothing more to pull it away at the last minute and leave you in despair. So that was pretty normal. So we had a great time. Um, a couple days, two, three days later, I shouldn't say later, um, we got a note from um, the person that stayed with us. It was really nice. It said, thank you very much. That's Dear Deb and Pat. Thank you very much for the wonderful time we had in New Mexico. The best part being... The best part being, ah, let me hang on to that a second. The best part being, that's what I'm going to tell you about that in a minute. Um, because what I'm going to say next, the rest of this note is powerful, and I really want you to understand it because it really is the best part. But let me give you a little background first. And this is really, to bring this together with what Bob was saying about just the need of a Savior from religion. There's about <clears throat> 78 years of effort into this note. There's, on Deb's part and my part, 30 years of prayer. Um, which will go into what I'm going to read in the next part of this note. 30 years of Deb and I praying. But first, a little background. Deb and I got married in 1980. We were in um, Michigan. That was about the time we got saved, and we moved to Texas. Now, prior to that, we both grew up in religious homes. We went to church every Sunday all our lives. Since the day we were born, both of us were in very religious homes, went to church every Sunday. I can remember, it had to have been around college. I remember the day, still just sticks in my head. I remember the day that uh, I was walking to church. A couple friends showed up with us, and they said, hey, let's skip church. Let's go to breakfast. All right, so that day, I can remember this. The first day I skipped church. Now, I don't remember breakfast. It was a horrible day. What I do remember is I think I just committed a mortal sin, and that really bothered me because that ruined my whole breakfast. That just ate a part of me. But I can remember the day that I first skipped church. So anyway, like I said, we grew up, both Deb and I grew up in religious homes, very religious homes, um, always very involved in going to church. So we get married in 1980, and that was around the time we got saved. We moved to Houston, Texas. I took a job with Amico Oil Company. 
we got really involved with our church in Texas, First Baptist Church of Katy, Texas, actually where we were. We got involved in a lot of outside Christian activities, Bible study fellowship, just a real strong non-denominational Bible study, Bill Gothard seminars. We really grew. Now, at the time we got saved, it was pretty normal with all of us. We, um, we wanted to see our parents get saved. We wanted to see our siblings get saved. You always have a burden for them. We started praying for them. So in 1986, Deb and I said, you know what, let's move back to Michigan. We want to be close to our family. We want to be close to our siblings. We want to see them get saved. So in 1986, we moved back to Michigan. We have been always praying for a long time for parents, for siblings, for friends like that. <clears throat> so we moved back to Michigan. And over the course of the next, like, 25-some years, both my dad, my, um, my uh, wife's dad, Deb's dad, both got saved. They've since passed away. Deb's mom got saved, okay? My mom's not saved, okay? So that, that was a burden we've had for a long time. My mom's not saved. So this goes on, and this has been part of our prayer for years and years and years. So, oh, by, I'd say a month before Thanksgiving, um, I call my mom up, I'm talking to her, and I said, hey, mom, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? I said, are you going to Van and Joan's house or Sarah and Jeff's house? Now that's my brother and my sister's house. <clears throat> She said, you know, I don't really have any plans yet. We haven't figured that out yet. So I said to her, I said, hey, mom, why don't you come down here? She goes, you know, that's a great idea. So my mom came down on the 19th, this last November 19th, my mom comes down and has Thanksgiving with us. Man, we have a nice Thanksgiving. Good food, like I said, watch, you know, the depressing part of the lions. I got past that pretty quick. So we had a really nice time. And prior to her coming, Deb and I talked and said, you know, we have an opportunity again to witness to her. We need to be praying. We want to see this happen. So my mom comes down. We have our Thanksgiving. And I think it's, I don't know if it was Saturday. or I mean, it was a Saturday, Sunday, Monday, sometime after Thanksgiving. And my mom had been reading a book that's just been out. I think it's called Proof of Heaven. It's about a neurosurgeon that I, and I haven't read the book. I gotta, I'll read it next on my list. He dies and goes to heaven or something like that. But anyway, it's a very powerful book about heaven. So Whatever day it was, Monday or Tuesday, my mom gets talking to Deb. I'm laying on the back. I got like a herniated disc, so most of my time at home is laying on the back with my feet up on the couch, but I can still watch TV, so that's the good part. But I'm laying on the back. <clears throat> Deb's talking to my mom, talking about proof of heaven. My mom's asking questions like, how do you get to heaven? So Deb witnesses to her. Full-blown, and Deb never lets any grass grow under her feet. So if there's an opportunity, she's in there. And you know what? My mom got saved. She accepted Christ. She was in tears. My mom got saved. I'm going to be with my mom in heaven. What a joy. What a joy. A couple days later, Deb's driving down to Albuquerque with my mom, and, she, and my mom says, hey, turn the radio off. Tell me again. I want to be sure. How do I get to heaven? Whole conversation again. What a joy. My mom gets saved. She, uh, all of, she's back in Michigan for about, she left on, I think, the 21st of November. She's back in Michigan. She's already got involved in a Bible study fellowship. She's growing. So let me read you the next part of this note. The note says, uh, Dear Pat and Deb, thank you very much for the wonderful time we had in New Mexico. The best part being closer to God. I have a long way to go, and my path is secure in my mind. Each day, I hope to get more familiar with the Bible. What a joy. But let me put this in context for you. She's 78 years old. There's 78 years in this, in this note. My mom's got 78 years of Sunday underneath her belt. Okay? She's been going to church for 78 years. 
I firmly believe in any Christian church, this church included, there's people that are very good at going to church every Sunday, being very involved. But I'm going to tell you, and I'll be the, I don't want to, well, I do want to burst your bubble. If you're here, because that's what your goal is, i got to be at church on Sunday, it's not going to get you to heaven. I don't care if you have 100 years of Sundays underneath your belt, you're not getting to heaven. Without Jesus Christ as your Savior, without Christ's sacrifice for your sin on the cross, you're not getting to heaven. You need to be saved from religion. It doesn't matter how long you go, how much you go, without Christ, it's not going. I think of Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Without Christ, you're not going to heaven. Now, the second part that I want you to hear is this. Deb and I have been praying for 30 years. Don't give up. There's, there's times you get frustrated. There's times I think, hey, nothing's ever happened. I still have a brother. I still have a sister I'm praying for that I want to get saved. I want to see you get saved by God. Don't give up. I don't care if it takes 30 years or 50 years. Keep praying for him. I think of Habakkuk, and this is the one, the, the scripture that God always brings back to me because in my times of frustration, hey, is anything happening? Is anything going on? Habakkuk was a prophet you can read in the Old Testament. It was a time when I think the Jews were in Babylon. Habakkuk saying, God, what's going on here? I mean, why is nothing happening? And God answers. This is Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. And he says, God says to Habakkuk, look at the nations and be amazed. I'm going to do a work in your day that even if I told you, you wouldn't believe. God is working. You may not see it. I may get frustrated. I, I'm praying for people, and I'm thinking nothing's happened. But I'm telling you, God is working don't give up. I don't care how long you have to pray, keep praying. And again, what I'm telling you is, without Christ, I don't care how much you go to church, it's more than going to church on Sunday, it's Jesus Christ. All right. We need a Savior. We need a Savior. We need a Savior. Um, just in um, kind of the fourth area I was thinking about was um, the grave or death. And I've just put some scriptures and stuff down there. I'll just point out, um, because of the, my study in Revelation that we've been doing, is that there's eventually coming a time from the, more, from the minute that you're born, you start to die. And, and there's a time coming when we're going to need a Savior for death, too. And in 2 Timothy, I'll just read the last reference down there. It says, but it, it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. Through his words, death has been destroyed. We have a Savior. We have a Savior this morning. We have someone who is a person who can stand in our place and save us from sin, save us from ourselves, save us from religion, and even save us from death at the end. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that an awesome thing? It's been resonating through my mind, and when I want to do that, I put down some verses. The Savior, who is the Savior? It's Jesus. I put a bunch of scriptures in I did it because when I started putting down these scriptures, I started reading them rapid fire, and it was like, wow, it was just overwhelming. It says in 2 Samuel, the Lord lives, praise be to my rock, exalted be my God, the rock, my Savior. 
in Psalms. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, my Savior. And in Psalms again, it says, Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all the day long. Isn't that awesome? This Savior, this great, my hope is in you all the day long. Why, my soul, are you cast down? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. That awesome verse after verse. <laughs> praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. In Titus it says, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because, his, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, who? Our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And in Mary's prayer in Luke, it says, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in who? In God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will be called blessed. Yes, and in Acts, for this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. And then in 1 John, a powerful verse, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. To be the Savior of the world. It's a great Christmas season. That's why our, I kind of put down that key verse at the beginning. Unto us, you know, I have it up there. Just a minute, I got it right here. Don't be afraid. I will bring good news that will cause great joy to all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, our Savior. We have an awesome Savior. It was a kind of a story I um, heard um, Pastor Lee. Um, he was from Tennessee. He's a very old, old pastor that I knew. And um, during his era at the school, they used to meet in one-room schoolhouses. He said from first grade to eighth grade. And they were always kind of um, had a hard time, he said, at their school. He said teachers would come and go, and they'd be there for only two or three weeks, and the kids would just run them out of town. They were just a bunch of hill kids and very mean. And so um, a young man showed up there and said, I'd like the job to be the school teacher here. And the, the people in the community said, well, you really don't want this job. He goes, no, I'd, I'd really, really like to try it. They said, well, they run everybody out in two or three weeks. He goes, I'd really like to try it. So they hired him, and his first day in the classroom, he saw a bunch of boys at the back, and there was a great big guy. Um, they call him Big Joe, um, one of the young kids and stuff, and they were kind of making fun of the teacher from day one, and were saying, I'll have him out of here in a couple of days. Um, and... The teachers knew that he was going to be in trouble, so he said, here's what we're going to do. In order for us to get along, we're going to have to have some rules. But I don't want to come up with the rules. You guys come up with the rules that you want them to be. And Big Joe, right off the front, being kind of the leader of the group, said, there should be no stealing. If anyone steals, they should get whipped. 
And so the young teacher wrote it on the board, no stealing. Another one said, you can't be late for classes. You, this can't happen. And so they came up with a list of rules. Well, sure enough, you know what happened. Second day of school, Big Joe walked in and said, hey, somebody stole my lunch. So the teacher was a little perplexed, and so he announced to the class, I need to know who did that. There's a small little kid in the class, a young kid, pretty skinny, and he had on a, just a coat, not even a shirt, just a coat, and was there, and he stood up and said, I stole Big Joe's lunch. He said, um, hadn't eaten in a couple of days, and I came to school, and, um, and I, ate his, I ate his lunch. Teachers just felt as low as you can feel. But realize that, you know, if you don't enforce the rule, there's no, no, no use in having the rule. And he knew how that would look to other people. So he said, well, you're going to have to take off your coat and um, we're going to have to do the penalty that we all agreed on. And little Jimmy said, I, I really don't want to take off my coat. The teacher said, no, you got to take off your coat. So when he takes it off, he didn't have any shirt. He goes, well, where's your shirt? He goes, well, I have one shirt. And he goes, I, it's washed one day a week, so I wear my brother's coat to school on that day. By then, the teacher's feeling about this high, but he knows what he's got to do. And so he gets the switch that they used in the school in those days and said, you have to come up, and this is what we're going to do. We got ready to do that. Big Joe stood up and said, you know what? If it's all right with all of you, I'll just take his beating for him. I'll just take it for him. We need a savior. We need a savior. We need a savior. 